It's a, not so much a theme um, message, but a collection of stories that um, will hopefully help you understand the scripture and bring the scripture to life. So, this comes from during my time in Israel, where a few things that happened to me on the tour or just working over there. For those who don't know, I spent a year in Israel volunteering for an organisation called Bridges for Peace. That's just over two years ago now that I got back. Um, So it was a really amazing time and God just did so many things and really um, just brought the scriptures to life to me. So I'm going to share some of those stories with you. Now, they're not in order of what happened, but it's more in order of where they're found in the Bible and I'm using Peter as an example. So, what happened that made me decide to go overseas for a whole year, leave my friends, my family, for a person who doesn't even (coughs) like to go to the movies by herself, going overseas for a whole year to a completely different country is a pretty big deal. Um, So, well, what happened? Um, Bridges for Peace came to church a few years before I went over and the guy was speaking up the front and he said, oh, by the way, we've got this program for young adults to go overseas, you can do the internship for a year. And that was pretty much the whole thing he said about it and kept on going. But something sparked in my heart. I'm like, oh, that'd be nice. But at the time, it was just, oh, that'd be nice. It wasn't really, I want to do that. Except ever since that time, it just grew in my heart more and more. Whenever someone talked about Israel, I'm like, oh, I want to do it, I want to do it, I want to do it. Until things fell into place and I actually could go. And then I had to make the decision, do I really want to do this? Because if I said, yes, I want to go, I knew God would bless that and I knew that meant I'd be over there and I didn't know if I'd actually want to go by myself for a year. So there was a decision that I had to make. Do I say, yes, I want to go? Because in that decision, I knew I had to say, do I have the faith for this? And so it was before even I put my application in, it was before... I um, contacted the guys and said, I want to do this, but I might had some quiet time with God. I'm just writing my prayer journal and God do you trust me? I'm like, um, yes. <laughs> and he's like, do you trust me? I'm like, yes, God, I trust you. And then I'm like, okay, I think I want to go to Israel. I'm like, no, I'm, I don't just want to go. I'm going to Israel. And in that moment, I knew, I knew, even before I put my application in, Even before anything else, I knew that at that moment I was going to go. And sure enough, put the application in, got accepted, and there was only ten places in the whole world, five guys, five girls, for this program. So it's kind of cool. Um, And yeah, just God was drawing me deeper and deeper. And he provided all the way along there. Someone bought me my plane tickets over to over there. To this day, I do not know how they did that. Uh, it's just 
And they did that before I got accepted as well. So that was just a huge faith thing, that saying they knew I was going as well, which was awesome. Um, I was trying to work out what do I do with my house while I'm gone? Do I rent it out? Do I do Airbnb? Do I, you know, rent it out furnished? Or do I take my stuff out and put it in storage? Like all these options. I'm like, God, just what do I do? Nothing was working until one morning just before church. I was like, God, I'd really like for you to just give me someone I know and trust that can stay in my house. And so I just, you know, quick prayer as I'm walking out the door to church. Then after the service, I'm just in the cafe chatting with some friends. I'm like, wait a minute. You guys are building up here. Do you want to move up here while you're building? And they're like, yeah, maybe. And the funny thing about this is I almost didn't ask them. Because the thought popped into my head as I'm just chatting to these guys. Ask them. Ask them if they want to move in. Oh, no, that's stupid. What, what, why would they want to move? That, that, that's just silly. That's, that's imposing on them. They, they're going to say no. It's just a silly. Ask them. And I'm so glad I listened to God in that moment because four hours after I said that prayer in that morning, I got a message from them saying, yes, we'd like to move in. I'm like, thank you, Jesus. I was so excited. I just went, actually put on my sneakers and went for a run because I just had all this energy because it was just God showing to me that I am your provider. So I want to read from Luke 5. And if you've got your Bibles, please join along with me. And it's Luke 5 from verse 4. And I um, don't think we've got the thing working, have we? No, that's all right. We'll go with it. Anyway, so a lot of my stories are from the life of Peter. Oh, here we go. Thanks, guys. So I'm taking examples all from Peter because I, like Peter, walked in the Holy Land, walked in Israel and discovered God's purpose in my life. So... Luke 5 from verse 4. When Jesus had finished speaking, he said to Simon, and this is, you know, his, Jesus is on the boat speaking to the people, then they go out fishing. He said to Simon, put out into the deep water and let your nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we have worked all night long, but have caught nothing. Yet, if you say so, I will let down the nets. When they had done this, they caught so many fish that their nets were beginning to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come to help them. And they filled the boats that, so that they began to sink. So many fish, just like the provisions I got for my journey to going to Israel. And then in verse 11 it says, When they had brought in their boats to shore... They left everything to follow him. I left my whole life, packed up, left my friends, left my family, left all the things that I was doing to come and follow Jesus. And it really gave me a glimpse also into the story of the rich young ruler who came up to Jesus and said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? 
Jesus said, follow the commandments. He said, I've done all that. He said, okay, one thing you lack, go sell all your possessions and come and follow me. Now, when my friend said, "Um, yes, we'll rent out your house, I got a revelation of this one. See, it wasn't about this young man's money. It's never about the money. Because God can use that, right? He blesses us. But it was about his reliance on that. If I had worried about what's going to happen to my house, I would have stayed home. My Centrelink payments as well, that was... This one was probably the biggest thing. So I left not knowing what was going to happen with that. I'm on the DSP, disability pension, and after, if you go overseas for more than four weeks, you get cut off from that. Not just your payment stops, you get cut off, you have to reapply again. And if I had come back and to reapply, I don't think I would have gotten again because the parameters have changed. So I put in an application to get an exemption. Um, They lost the application. So I had to put it in again. And this is like two weeks before I left. I left not knowing whether that would be successful or not, whether or not I would have the money. And so I had to, like Peter, leave everything. But thank God, he blessed me through that. I got to keep it and... um, God bless me with those finances to be able to fund my trip because I wasn't able to work over there. So that was just a huge, huge blessing there. And so I, like Peter, left everything to follow Jesus. And when I was in Israel on the tour... I've got another revelation, and this time we're going to read from Mark 4. Mark 4, verse 35 to 41. And this is the story of Jesus calming the storm. So on that day, when evening had come, he said to them, Let's go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd behind, they took him with them in the boat just as he was. Other boats were with him. A great windstorm arose and the waves beat the boat so that the boat was already being swamped. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion, and they woke him up and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? He woke up and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. Then the wind ceased, and there was a dead calm. He said to them, Why are you afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great awe and said to one another, Who then is this, that even the winds and the sea obey him? Now, on the Sea of Galilee, there is... It can come up with quite sudden storms, so you do have to be careful. They come up without, without much warning. Um, luckily, the day we went was a beautiful, sunny day, absolutely perfect. Um, this was on the tour, so probably about day three or four of the tour. Now, like I said before, I'm not one who even likes to go to the movies by myself. So 
as I was there, I was still coming to grips with the fact that I was going to be there for a whole year. All by myself. I didn't know anyone over there. Didn't have my family with me. I was trying not to freak out. Now, I knew God had called me there. So I knew, yes, this is God's plan. Yes, you're going to protect me. Yes, you're going to be with me, Lord. But you know that little voice in the back of your head that you can't quite get rid of? That was there just sort of chattering away and whispering, and what about this, but what about that? But you're going to miss your family, but well, you, you don't know this place. You've never been here before. And I'm like, no, God's called me, but what about this? But God's called me, but what are you? And I could not get rid of this voice. Try as I might. Until I stepped foot on that boat on the Sea of Galilee and that feeling just disappeared. The instant I stepped one foot on that boat, I had such a feeling of peace and those thoughts never came back. You see, when Jesus calmed the storm and said, peace be still, he didn't say stop. That peace is still there today. I mean, look at that photo. You can just see it, right? Oh, it, was, it was so amazing. Just, I knew that I could trust him in that moment. So I, like Peter, had a storm inside me, but Jesus calmed it. I, like Peter, wanted to walk on the waves. I, I did think about it. I was like, my I wonder if I could be like Peter and just sort of, you know, step out. Actually, while we were um, on the tour, we got so excited while we were in the boat, all of us were up the stern, up the front, looking ahead. They actually had to get us to sit down because the driver couldn't see. We were very excited and we just had some beautiful worship time on there. It was great. So, the next one I want to read out is Matthew 16. Verses 13 to 20. Read along with me, whether it's paper or on your phone. Who still has the paper Bible? Who likes that better? I like it. Phone's great for Googling quickly, but I love being able to underline the paper Bible and writing notes, and it's great. All right, so Matthew 16, verses 13 to 20. And here um, Jesus is at Caesarea Philippi with his disciples, which is up at the north end of Israel, just at the beginning where the source of the River Jordan comes. So Matthew 16, verse 13. Are we all there? Now when Jesus came to the district of Caesarea Philippi, He asked his disciples, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, said, Some say John the Baptist, but others Elijah. And still some say Jeremiah or one of the other prophets. And he said to them, But who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, 
and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Then he sternly ordered his disciples not to tell anyone he was the Messiah. I love that scripture. There's so much power in that one. I have a key necklace, which I actually forgot to wear today. I was going to wear it, but it's got a little key on it to remind me that God's given me the keys of the kingdom. And not just half the kingdom, like you hear in fairy tales, you know, that the knight wins the, wins the princess's heart. I will give you half the kingdom, whatever you wish, to half the kingdom. God's given us the whole kingdom. So, Caesarea Philippi, here it is. This is Caesarea Philippi, also called Banias or Panias, um, which this part here, there is a larger area, but this part here was the centre of worship to the Greek god, the false god, Pan. And um, this here is the gates of hell. That's actually what they called this place right there. And that is where they gave their sacrifices to Pan. All sorts of nasty things went on here. And the sacrifices they'd throw in, um, in the wintertime, we were there in um, summer, so it was completely dry. But in the wintertime, the cave um, bottom fills up with water and they would throw in their sacrifices believing that the gates of hell would, you know, would open up and send their sacrifice down to Pan. Um, so Pan is the god of chaos and mischief and um, god of fear as well. It's where we actually get the word panic, pan, ick. Um, and so it was very interesting to be able to see this place. And here Jesus is saying, the gates of hell will not prevail. Like, talk about walking into the middle of your enemies and going, ha ha, I'm better than you and you've got no power. And like, uh, it's, it's taunting the enemy there, declaring right in that place, the gates of hell will not prevail. Crazy. But that is the power of God. And so um, in 1 Peter 5, 8, it says, Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Now the key word here is like a roaring lion. I think he's a lion, old crusty lion. He's got a big roar, but... Not many teeth and claws are sort of falling out and, you know. Um, but the other th interesting thing about Pan is in some of the legends, he would hide in the forest as travellers came through the path and he would shake the bushes and make noises to scare them. Prowling around like a roaring lion. But the gates of hell will not prevail. One of my friends in Israel preached a sermon on this and it just totally changed my mindset on it. Um, her name's Re Rebecca Verbatim, and she is amazing. Um, but yeah, she just 
totally turned this scripture around for me because often I'd think, oh, the gates of hell will not prevail. You know, you're, you're holding up your shield of faith and they're not going to prevail against you and they're not going to get you and gates never attacked anyone, she says. I'm like, no, it's not a passive statement here. The gates of hell will not prevail. We are the ones who are kicking down those gates, storming the gates of hell and declaring God's authority. Who is he? He is the Messiah, the Son of God. And the gates of hell will not prevail against us. Changes your way you think about it, right? So I really learned how to worship in Israel. The spiritual atmosphere over there, the spiritual battles are like nothing else. It's a whole other level. But I learned to fight on that. My go-to was Raises Hallelujah. I love that song because when you don't know what to pray, I raise a hallelujah in the presence of my enemies. Right in the midst of those gates of hell, I raise a hallelujah. Fear you've got no hold of me. So I, like Peter, was given the, gate, the keys to the kingdom of heaven and the gates of hell will not prevail against me either. So the next verse I want to read is Matthew 26, verses 57 to 73. Matthew 26, 57 to 73. This one's a bit of a longer one. But here I'm hoping to kind of tie things together. We'll see how we go. Odd collection of stories, but God works in that way sometimes, I think. All right, here we go. So this is just after the Last Supper, just after Jesus prays in the Garden of Gethsemane. He's been arrested and they've taken him away. Those who had arrested Jesus took him to Caiaphas, the high priest, in whose house the scribes and elders had gathered. But Peter was following him at a distance, as far as the courtyard of the high priest, and going inside, he sat with the guards in order to see how this would end. Now the chief priests and the whole council were looking for false testimony against Jesus, that they might put him to death. But they found none, though many false witnesses came forward. At last two came forward and said, This fellow said, I am able to destroy the temple of God and build it in three days. The high priest said, Have you no answer? Is this what, what is it they testify against you? But Jesus was silent. Then the high priest said to him, I put you under oath before the living God. Tell us if you are the Messiah, the Son of God. Jesus said to him, You have said so, but I tell you, from now on you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. Then the high priest tore his clothes and said, He has blasphemed. Why do we still need witnesses? You have heard his blasphemy. What is your verdict? They answered, he deserves death. And then they spat in his face and struck him. And some slapped him saying, 
Prophesy to us, you Messiah. Who is it that struck you? Now Peter was sitting outside in the courtyard. A servant girl came to him and said, You were also with Jesus, the Galilean. But he denied it before all of them, saying, I do not know what you were talking about. And of course, this is just after he says, I will follow you to the death. I will not deny you. Then he went out to the porch. Another servant girl saw him. And she said to the bystanders, This man, he was with Jesus of Nazareth. Again, he denied it with an oath. I do not know the man. A little while after, he, bystanders came up to him and Peter and said, You are one of them, for your accent betrays you. Then he began to curse and he swore an oath. I do not know the man. At that moment, the cock crowed. Then Peter remembered what Jesus had said. Before the cock crows, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. This, just outside of the old city in Jerusalem, is St. Peter's Church of Galicantu. Galicantu means rooster's crow. It's, I think, from the Latin, but it's supposed to be on a matapia, where it sounds like the word, say, Galicantu, the rooster crowing. Um, and this was probably one of the most impacting moments that I had at this place here. So here they built a church over what was Caiaphas' house. This is where they brought Jesus. This is where Peter denied his Messiah. Inside is um, the dungeons, which used to be a water system. So there's the opening to the water system, which then was turned into a dungeon, and that is the hole where they throw the prisoners in. Now, there's a lot of places in Israel where you go and say, this is where the Bible story happened. But a lot of them are around about. We know it's sort of in this area. This is the traditional place, but we're not quite sure. Caiaphas' house is one of the ones that, as certain as you can be for 2,000 years ago, they know that it happened here. And so you go underneath the church into the um, caverns and right here you'll see a rope um, strung through some hole. That is where they would tie the prisoners, bind their hands while they whipped and beat them. That is where our Messiah, our Lord and Saviour, was taken by the soldiers. And then we went into, on the tour, 
went into the cistern. It's about no more than two, three metres in diameter, about half this stage. We had about 50 of us on the tour, all crammed into this little building here. We had a door to enter through. They'd carved that out. But in Jesus' time, that hole there was the only entrance in and out. They'd lower them down on ropes or more likely throw them in. And I remember so vividly our tour guide explaining this one. Because before, when it was a water system, the water would come in and gather, but you know how you get the silt at the bottom? And it would build up and build up over time. And the water would be fresh on top because all the dirt had gone to the bottom. And so after the water had dried up, they'd use it as this dungeon. But they'd leave the silt and filth in there. And then, of course, you've got the filth from all the prisoners before Jesus. And so here Jesus was thrown into this hole. And who knows how long he spent in that time. As we read the scripture, we read through it so quickly, those couple of chapters that we think, we we have in our mind that it happened so quickly. But this happened over hours possibly even days, depending on which timeline you go by, that he had to sit in there in that filth, beaten and broken and bruised, the stench. Yet he stayed. And I remember something that my um, tour guide Tom said that it wasn't just at the garden that he said, Lord, if it's your will, take this cup from me. But he had to decide every single moment from the garden to the cross to stay. At any single moment, he could have said, I've had enough, I'm done, this is too hard. But every single moment, no, I'm staying, I'm staying. I'm staying. And so our tour guide is explaining this to us. And he asks us to all sit down and just take a moment of reflection to think on this and to just, I guess, to, you know, reflect with Jesus and thank him for what he did. And so all 50 of us are crammed in there. It's the middle of summer, a hot day. And we're just sitting there and reflecting. Now, there's no room to remove. 50 of us in a little area like that, not even. It's crammed in. And as I'm sitting there, just weeping, sobbing silently. I am overcome by such a sense of grief.
It wasn't mine. It was something that I knew I was feeling from 2,000 years before when Jesus was there deciding every moment of every second to stay for me. And this feeling was so, so strong that I couldn't handle it. And I'm like, I've got to get out of here. But of course, you know, I'm at this end, the door's over there, there's 50 people in the way, and I could not get get out without literally climbing on top of them. So I'm like, okay, just take a few breaths and try and... But I could not handle it. It was so, so overwhelming. I honestly just wanted to get the hell out. And I'm just sitting there. I'm like, God, I can't do this. I'm sorry, Lord, but I cannot do this. And even though I didn't want to disturb everyone else and climb over them, they were having their moment too. I'm like, no, I have to. I don't care. I have to get over them and get out of here. But then... But then, just as I'm about to get out, get up and leave, I feel a presence beside me and Jesus whispers into my heart, I'm here. And I'm going to tell you, I've never felt his presence, all his love, so strongly. And he held my hand in that moment. And suddenly I could do it. I could stay. I was a mess, but I could stay. But what really undid me was the fact that there in that place of grief and torment for him, I don't know about you, but if you've been to somewhere that has bad memories for you, you don't want to go back. There in that place, he would comfort me. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever, whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. For God did not come into the world to condemn it but to save the world through his son. See, I was trying to decide which version of that passage with Peter denying Jesus to use. And another one in Luke, it says, there's a phrase, you know, Peter, the rooster crows. And there was one sentence that stuck out to me. And Jesus turned and looked at Peter. 
in that moment, I know, I know that he only had eyes of love. He didn't look at Peter with condemnation. He didn't accuse him. Even though he would have torn his heart that Peter denied him, his best friend. But he only looked at him with love. How do I know that? Because that is who Jesus is. And because that's how he looked at me in that place. If I can get the team up. Thank you. You see, Jesus doesn't leave us in our place of grief or shame. I was so cut that I could not by myself stay in that place. I wanted to run. And had it not been for his love, I would have. But Jesus didn't leave me there. In Acts 4... There's a story where Peter finds redemption. And it's not when they're filled with the Spirit on Pentecost. It's a little bit after that. Peter and John had just healed a beggar, a lame man by the um, gates. And everyone's making a big fuss over it. So they bought Peter and John before the Sadducees. It says, While Peter and John were speaking to the people, the priest, the captain of the temple, and the Sadducees came to them. Much annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming that Jesus was the resurrection of the dead, they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who heard the word believed, and they numbered about 5,000. Then the next day, the rulers, the elders, and the scribes assembled in Jerusalem with Annas, the high priest, Caiaphas, and John, Alexander, and all the high priestly family. And I was reading this just earlier this year, and that one struck out to me. They brought them before the high priest and Caiaphas. And if they were arrested, then Peter, he was probably in that same prison where his master was. And of no doubt, they was thinking, this is where I denied him. But if we read on, there's always another, there's always more. It doesn't end there. They asked them to give an account. And Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, preached Jesus. But they ordered him not to. And Peter said, Whether it is right in God's sight to listen to you rather than God, you must judge. For we cannot keep from speaking what we have seen and heard. You're one of them. 
You were with Jesus. Yes, I was. Filled with the Spirit. Filled with His love. Nothing could stop Him. That is the power of God's love, my friends. How wide, how high, how deep. In fact, it's so deep we can only understand it through being filled with the Spirit. Now unto him who can do more than we could hope or imagine. He loves you guys. He loves you so much. There's nothing you could ever, ever do. There's nothing you have ever done. You see, I, like Peter, was going to run. But I, like Peter found redemption in God's love. I found power and authority and victory in God's love. For God so loved me. For God so loved you. That he gave his only son. And if we believe in him, we will not perish but have eternal And that's not just for the future, that's for now, guys. So I want to create this opportunity right now. If anyone doesn't know God's love yet and you want to, now we usually say, close your eyes, bow your head. I'm not going to do that today. Because here, Peter was in the midst of the people. Do you have the courage to stand? Because God's love is so great. It's not always easy, but God's love will get you through. So if there's anyone here today, if there's anyone watching online as well, please leave us a comment. Get in touch with us through our website so we can get in touch with you. If there's anyone here today, I want you to come forward. If you want to know Jesus for the first time, you're standing among friends. Now, the second group I want is if you want to say like Peter, for we cannot keep speaking about what we have seen or heard. Whether it's right in God's eyes to listen to man or listen to God, if you want to know God's love at a deeper level, if you want to stand for Him, draw a line in the sand. Now I warn you, it's not going to be easy. You might get some flack from it. But do you have the courage to stand with me and saying, Jesus, I want to know you more. I trust you. I want you guys to come forward too. to be. It's scary for me to go for a year to Israel all by myself, but it was the best thing I ever did. 
you can trust God because He loves you. He loves you and He will never, ever leave you. And in His love, through His love, He wants to do in you so much more than you could ever hope or imagine.